Good deal, good deal. So, hey, we're talking today about good enough. All right, now get this topic. Good, well, how much is good enough? So when I was about, uh, I don't know, about 24 or five, uh, I, st- I, st- I was building houses. But before I got to that grand ripe age of 25, I had this dude uh, that was teaching me how to be a carpenter. And I, I still love that kind of work. And so uh, I remember though, we had this job. We were building the gymnasium uh, for about six different uh, county elementary schools. And he'd be framing up and be showing me, you know, uh, all the things to do. And he, he got done one time and he just looked at it and he always kind of, I never knew what it meant, but it always went like this. And he went, huh. and he moved on to the next project. Well, I thought I'd ask him, I said, well, Cliff, what does huh, mean? He said, you don't know that? I said, I've never seen it before in my life. He said, that's the universal sign for close enough for government work. <laughs> and I thought to myself, you're kidding, really? But he was dead serious. And I wondered from that in, prep, in preparation for today, how much is good enough? Well, I found some fascinating statistics a few weeks ago. You've got to hear these. Let's just say everybody in America gave 99.9% effort at everything. Are you with me? So like all you guys, everybody in the U.S., we gave 99.9% of all we could into something, right? Here's what would happen. Two million documents would be lost by the IRS if we all gave 99.9% effort. All right, if we all gave 99.9%, some of y'all thinking, I wish they'd lost mine, but 99.9% effort, there'd be 22,000 checks deducted from the wrong bank account in the next 60 minutes. If we all gave 99.9% effort, 1,500 or so phone calls would be misdirected every minute. 2,500 books would be shipped with the wrong cover on them. Over five and a half million cases of soft drinks would be sent without the carbonation, which is just the grossest thing. 20,000 incorrect drug prescriptions would be written every month, and 12 babies would be given to the wrong parents every day. Aren't you glad we all give 100%? And we don't, though, do we? I mean, seriously, don't you have times where it's just like, I am so tired of pulling my part and that girl's part in the cube next to me or the salesman on the other end of the floor or out on the job site. Aren't there times in your your life it's just like, I mean, do y'all do that? I mean, it's really good for your soul. Just try it, man. Cross your arms, you know, and then you just get totally flabbergasted, just like, if you just only see how foolish y'all look. But... Seriously, when you think about how much is good enough, then, of course, any preacher goes to, well, how, how, how good do you have to be to get to heaven? Because when, when a preacher starts talking about percentages, y'all know we only use percentages as a way to get toward talking about heaven. I mean, it's just kind of a rule of thumb, preacher world, right? So then I started thinking, I wonder how many, pe- how many people have given me lines that sounded like this. You know, Chuck, if I try my best, won't God let me into heaven? Or try this one on. Doesn't God just require me to be better than the average person? Or I like this one. Don't I just have to live a good life to be a Christian because you do good things? Or how could a loving God send good people to hell? 
it would seem, my friend, it would seem as though we humans are incurably addicted to doing something to earn our own salvation. It seems as though we just have this addiction that screams and cries out, I'm going to fix it, I've got to do it, and I've got to make it happen. But when you take a look about what God says about it, remember, the same God that created you has a plan for you who is always for you. That same God looks at us and says, none of those phrases are correct. No, you cannot be good enough. No, you cannot try to be good enough. No, you just don't have to be better than that guy. You just, you just have to do one thing. You see, God's standard is perfection. Now, I, I would never embarrass you, but I, in my life, I can assure you, I woke up this morning at somewhere around about 6.30ish, and from 6.30 to now at 11.40, can I just assure you, I haven't made it in perfection in that many hours. I have already messed it up. And now my guess is you probably have too, especially if you had two elementary schoolers and a preschooler to get to church this morning. Or maybe a high schooler who just didn't want to get out of bed this morning. Or maybe a middle schooler that said, I want to go over to that church because my friend's going there today. And you look at all of this and you think to yourself, well, now... If, I'm, if God's standard is perfection, how in the world can I connect with God? And God says you can't. But in one sense, you can be good enough to get to heaven. You say, well, Chuck, that's totally contradictory. Did you just say, in one sense, there is a way that you can get to heaven? Yeah, but that would demand perfection. And I'm absolutely, teetotally convinced that according to God, we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the glory of God is perfection. And inside of that, we have fallen short. Jesus pointed this out when he called out two unique different groups of people. He called out the Pharisees, which would have been the very religious elite of his day, and the scribes who were very religious in the elite in that day. And these two groups of people would be known as the most influential religious people in all of the kingdom. And Jesus calls them out, and in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, he makes this statement, for I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, keep it up there for a second, guys, because I want you, want you to recognize this. Jesus says, for I tell you, just like he's saying today to Sugar Hill Church, I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the two most religious people of all the time, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now keep it up for a second, guys, because I want you to get this. He makes this point that it's about you, not us, not the church corporately. This is about you. So this morning, I have to look in the mirror and say, this is Jesus is talking to you, Chuck. Jesus is talking to you, Frankie. Jesus is talking to you. And you say, well, uh, Jesus has no reason to talk to me. I'm a good guy. I'm a good, I'm a, listen, I'm sharp. Chuck, I got it going on. I know that's why he has to talk to us. Because we're, we're convinced that, that we're sharp enough to avoid him and still go to heaven. But along the way, Jesus is not saying, hey, you have to be like them. Jesus is saying, this is the standard they've set. Now let me show you what you've got to do. You've got to go way beyond that. You've got to go way beyond that. You see, Jesus is painting a picture for you and I to understand and know that 
we have this one picture that we could see, the most religious people in the world. I mean, didn't some of y'all, didn't you grow up in a church that was filled at times with like really religious people? I mean, I did. You know, the kind of church that we look at it and say, you know, if you love Jesus, you wouldn't wear that. You know, you, if you love Jesus, you wouldn't drink that. You know, if you love Jesus, you wouldn't say that. Have you ever noticed that the more religious we become, the less like Jesus we become? And in the midst of that, he's saying to these people, hey, you sitting in Sugar Hill Church or watching online, there's not enough room for you to get to this level of religion because religion's not doing anything but hurting you. Stop it. And then he goes on in chapter 5, if you skip down to verse 48, and he says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So Jesus comes back, and we always ask ourselves, what? What is that therefore? Therefore. And this therefore is here to say, this is how you're to be. You, individual you, you are to be as your heavenly Father is, perfect. And you think, I don't have a chance. You're right. There's no way to win. You can't do this on your own. It is impossible. When, when I have the privilege of speaking at a memorial service or a funeral, and there's a casket or an urn there, and, and I start talking to them about who that person is. Let's just say that that person is Ralph. And I'll say, let me tell you what Ralph would say without any question to you. He would say, whatever you do, don't miss heaven. Now, that's if Ralph is a born-again believer in Jesus who has trusted Jesus to take away his sin and give him heaven. But if Ralph didn't know Jesus, this is what I would say. Ralph would be sure to tell you, whatever you do, don't miss heaven. Because in either seats, he's right. You see, what we're looking at is that heaven is where we find the no mores. You see, on earth we find the mores. We always want more. We always want to do more. We always want to achieve more. But in heaven, on the other hand, we find the no mores. You see, the no mores are there which mean like this, no more tears, no more sadness, no more pain, no more sickness, no more death. But you say, Chuck, then why is it so easy to compare me versus somebody that's clearly rotten, sinful, willfully sinful. Well, aren't you glad that God doesn't grade us on the curve? I mean, aren't you glad that you don't have to stack up against some other competition? Like, I'm just thinking to myself, so if, if it's my life versus Norm back there, I'm totally out of the race. I've already lost. He's just a better dude than I am. I've already lost. I'm so glad God doesn't grade me on the curve because I'd be kicked out. I'm done. Somebody, would else, somebody else would have to run my race. But, but you see, it's not about me and Norm. It's about me and God. And in the middle of all this, when we recognize God doesn't grade us on the curve, what we do know is this. He never says, come on, you're close enough, or you've tried really hard, come on. I mean, it's kind of like this. You look at this and you say, you know what? Then my goal is I need to look like I'm religious. I need to walk like, I, like I'm religious. I need to talk it. But the fact is, this really isn't about my, my sin. I mean, let's face it. I'm a good person, Chuck. 
Well, watch this. It's, it's kind of like saying, okay, this is what we're going to do. Uh, we're we're going to take each other and we're going we're to measure each other on how we're doing. Like I'd say, God, look at Bobby. I mean, clearly he's a sinner. I mean, I mean, seriously. Bobby is one of the greatest people I've ever known. And God says, but that, that didn't help you much. It's kind of like this. Uh, let's just say that you could jump 32 feet. All right? That's that's, trust me, that'd be a long way if any of you could jump 32 feet. I, I can jump 1.2 feet on a good day. Well, let's just say you could jump 32 feet. But the goal was you had to jump over the Grand Canyon. So you jump 32.4 and set a personal best. But guess what? When you hit the rock, you still splat it. Because see, if, if the goal is, I, to, perfection is I got to get across the Grand Canyon. But you don't understand, Chuck, I am a world record holder. I am the greatest jumper of all time, but still bad. You say, well, man, Chuck, that's just not really encouraging. But now, isn't it true that if we were to grade ourselves, that's what we do? That's what I would do. It's like, hey, you know, God, seriously, I gave this morning. God, I, I got to church on time. My goodness, I even did a mission trip a couple of months ago, and I went to youth camp. Not only youth camp, I went to middle school youth camp, which just kind of on the side. I-20 was shut down on the way to middle school camp, and they routed me through Lexington, South Carolina. Any of y'all from Lexington, South Carolina? That is where you go when you die without Jesus. <laughs> I was driving through Lexington, South Carolina, and I was running behind, and I needed to hop off. So you know how you have those painted stripes when you can and can't get in the turn lane? I took it just a little bit early, and I saw the lights. You've got to be kidding me. So I pull over. Officer walks up to the window, license, registration, yes, sir, got it, you know. And he looks at me and says, what was your hurry? And I looked at him, and I don't know if you all know this or not, but Samantha has taught us this, that Tyra Banks on some uh, show taught you how to prune. You all know what that is? Watch, I'll show you. Prune. <laughs> Are you with me? I know you all want to try it, don't you? Rusty, I know you want to do it. I, deep down, I know you do, buddy. So I thought, I'm going with that. I turned around to the officer and went like, I said, officer, I'm in a hurry to get to middle school camp. And he just looked at me like, okay. And I said, sir, you don't understand. Have you ever been in a dorm room with about 26th grade boys that haven't showered in four days. And he said, bless your heart, and I went on. <laughs> so should you get stopped, just know you better go to middle school camp. Where was I? Anyway, let me ask you this question. Are any of you perfect? Well, of course not, right? We all get that. But God's solution is a pardon. You see, the whole world knows we're guilty, including us, but isn't it great that, that God's solution to our problem is a pardon? You see, fortunately, that all that good news comes about in Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 12. The message kind of puts it this way. Christ made a single sacrifice for sins, and that was it. 
Jesus has already done it. And then it says, it was a perfect sacrifice by a perfect person to perfect some imperfect people. Our sins are taken care of for good. So then you say, well, Chuck, if I can't do it and he's done it, what's the next step? Well, Paul goes on to say this in the second letter to the Corinthians. He says, he made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The first time I visited the Holy Land, I, I walked through the garden tomb. And when you walk through the gates of the garden of the tomb, you, you don't go in about, about 15, 20 feet. And you look to your left and you go about another 50 feet and there's the tomb in which Jesus was laying and, and rose from the dead. But if you keep walking straight, you go to the back of the garden and you can see this small hillside. And literally you can see the eyes and the mouth and the nose of, of a skull. And, and you see, this is where Christ gave his life for me and you. And, and I, I will never forget the first time there. It was pretty emotional to look and see that because this is what I understood standing there. That I wasn't just standing there in that moment. I was standing there some 2,000 years ago when it was my sin that put him on that cross. You see, you and I, we, we didn't just sin in 2018. We didn't just sin in June of 2018. We were sinning some 2,000 years ago because on that cross was our sin, your sin, my sin. It was hung on the shoulders of the Son of God who took it freely and allowed his body to be broken and his blood to be shed so that he could die a sinner's death being perfectly sinless, but he did it when he took on our sin. You see, the challenge is this, that the pardon came with one small hiccup. The pardon came when we just had to receive it. If, if you'd been a criminal and you'd been handed a pardon, that'd be a release from your judgment. But you see, it's kind of like a, a young man years ago in the day when they still hung people for murder. This young guy was from a good family. He was a good young man. He had a clean record. He had no problems at all. But on one evening, he had a little too much to drink. He got a little frustrated at a poker game. And he killed a fella on top of a poker table. The whole community was rocked and shocked by what had happened. And, and, and they thought, this, this kid, his entire life is gone after just one night, one mistake, his life is gone. And they put a petition together, and that petition got to the judge, and the judge accepted that he would offer a pardon to that young man. And so to deliver that pardon, the judge took off his robe and put on a clerical robe with a clerical collar and grabbed his Bible and he took the pardon and he stuck it in his Bible and he started down the hallway to the old jail cell and he could hear as, as the guard was saying to this young man, get ready, the preacher's coming to see you. And that young man started to curse that preacher and started to scream at that preacher and started to tell, you don't have anything for me. You offered nothing for me. Here I am dying, and all you want to do is come pray for me? No thanks. And so that judge wrapped in the, as, that, as that pastor kept walking and took that Bible. And the minute he rounded the corner and that kid saw that Bible, he started to scream and curse him again. 
until that judge dressed up like the pastor started to walk back to his chambers. And sure enough, the next day, they prepared to hang that young man. And they had him there with the noose around his neck. They had the liver ready to pull and let that wood gate fall down. And before they put his, the hood over that young man's head, they said, what are your last words? And here's what he said. You need to know I'm not being, I'm not being judged. I'm not, I'm not being killed because I'm a murderer. I, I'm about to be dead because I simply didn't accept a pardon. See, we're all guilty, and we all know it. And if we're all guilty and we all know it, we all need a pardon. But you see, the judge dressed as a preacher holding the word of God, that young man couldn't fathom the concept that all he had to do was to receive that. You see, God's salvation is by personal faith. What do we do? We, we simply trust him. We simply say yes to Jesus. And you say, but Chuck, that can't be right. Well, of course we would think that. We would think it can't be right because 10 of the 11 world religions teach us salvation by having to do something that's good. And along came Jesus and said, I'm going to do all the work that's necessary. All you have to do is take the pardon. That's all you have to do is take the pardon. And you say, well, Chuck, I, I'm just so confused. You got a kid that died. You got a judge that's got a pardon. The kid doesn't, how does that relate to me? Well, if you've not met God's standard of perfection, and according to God, none of us have, and and what he offers you is a pardon from sin, which gives you a pardon from death, which gives you a key into heaven. What's left to be done? Watch this. What's left to be done is to receive the pardon. That's it. But Chuck, don't I need to dress some way? No. But if, but if everything we've ever known was I had to follow some religion, how can it be this easy? Because the only perfect person became the perfect sacrifice for all of us imperfect people so that we could live the perfect life in a perfect eternity. And all you have to do is accept it. And when I hear myself say that out loud, I think to myself, who wouldn't take me up on that? Who, who, who would be like that kid and shout and scream when life was literally a hand away. Paul wrote to the Ephesians in chapter 2, he said, for by grace you are saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it's from God's gift, not from works, so that none of us could boast. What, what Paul is saying to me and you today is this, the pardon we receive is by grace. You can't borrow it, you can't buy it, you can't earn it. And, and that grace is how we're saved. How? By faith in that grace. Leave it up there a minute, guys. But now watch this. To do that, it's like a medicine. If you've got a hacking cough and a sinus infection, you've got all that crud going on, and the doctor gives you a prescription, and you take that prescription home, and you set it down on the kitchen counter, and you don't fill it for the next week, guess what happens? 
you get more of whatever's going on. But when you take that medicine, it's because you believe that medicine's going to work and make you better. Jesus says, I got one better. It's not medicine. I'm going to give you grace, and that's how you're going to be saved, by faith that I mean what I say, that you can have grace through me, forgiveness for your past, forgiveness for your present, forgiveness for your future, and heaven for your home. And you say, well, Chuck, that's what I want. But now watch this. He goes on further and he says, you see, if we had to work for it, we'd brag about it. If we had to work for it, we'd be people that ran around telling people how good we were. See, here's the the thing. The real issue here is not your sin. Everybody just look back in. I I said it right. I didn't mess that one up. The problem here is not your sin. The problem is, what are you going to do with Jesus to allow him to deal with your sin? You see, the question is, you got to make a choice. You can make a choice that says, no thanks, I'll stay in prison. Or Jesus, yeah, I want to take you as my Savior. We, Jenny and the girls and I were in New England a week or so ago, and uh, one of the things I'm fascinated by is commercial fishermen. And, and, and in a little town in England, uh, times had gotten hard on fishermen. It was, a, it was cold and it was dreary, and I mean, people didn't have a big catch, except this one old wise dude. And every day he came home with a boat full of good fish. Finally, this, this guy walked up to him and he said, hey man, can I, can I go out with you today? And the guy said, yeah, come on. He hopped in the boat, and they went out about an hour and 20 minutes, found this little hole, and he shut down his engine, and he dropped anchor. He reached in his tackle box, pulled out a stick of dynamite, and lit it and tossed it in the water, and bam! And those fish just started rising, and he started ground and scooping up all his fish and put it down there. And that guy had gone with him, looked at him, and said, (laughs) he reached back in his pocket and pulled out a shield, and he said, you're under arrest. That old fisherman, knowing he was caught, reached back in his tail tackle box, pulled out another stick of dynamite, lit it, let hold it for a minute, and he tossed it to the game warden. He said, now, you going to fish? <laughs> you see, at some point, you got to decide. It's on you. You going to fish? Is today the day you say, I'm settling this? I watched, I watched a little girl get baptized at camp. And if you could picture, like, a wonderful kid, this is a wonderful kid, a part of a wonderful family. And she said, I've, I've, Jesus has been my Lord forever, but I don't know that I've ever followed him in believer's baptism. I'm dealing with it right now. And so trip and joy and everybody's saying, man, we're going to have a baptism service, and you, we'll make sure you're part of it. She said, no, no, we're doing this right now. And we did, because she knew it was about her, and it wasn't about her sin. She meant business with Jesus. So my question for you is, is today the day that you mean business with Jesus? Let's pray. Lord, today, I believe with all my heart there are people in this room who want to settle their account 
and they want to choose you. If that's what you want today, just join me in this prayer. There's nothing magical to it. It's, this is what it means to call on the name of the Lord. And he promises when we call on the name of the Lord, then he'll hear us and answer our prayer. Jesus, forgive me. I know I've been imperfect. Thank you for dying for me and raising from the dead as payment for my sin and my imperfection. God, I know I, I can't be good enough, but in you, I'm more than enough. Lord, I want to live for you. I want to make a U-turn for my life. I don't want to live for me anymore. I want to live for you. I don't want to make the right choice for you. Would you hear my prayer? Forgive me and save me this day. In Jesus' name, amen. So folks, if today you say, that's me, count me in. I wanted, I wanted everybody to see this. Sometimes I think we make it so ridiculously hidden to say, no, nobody's looking around, raise your hand. And we forgot that that, that that place in the skull where Jesus lie on that cross, it, it wasn't on a hill far away. It was right at the crossroads of life. And he hung there for the world to see. I don't believe he's asking his kids to hold a bushel over their light, but to say, I'm in, count me in. So I'm going to ask you, and, and maybe nobody will say that's me, and if, if it won't be the last time. But if today you'd say, I'm settling my account with Jesus. I may not even know what all that means yet, but I, I want to settle my account with Jesus, and I'm tired of my imperfection keeping me from having a perfect Savior and a perfect home in heaven. And you say, count me in, Chuck. And if that's your choice today, I want to make it so hard that you can't help but say, I'm all in. I'm just going to ask you to stand up. Doesn't matter who you are, just go ahead and stand up. Yeah. Yeah. Look at there. Look at there. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. I'm telling you, that's what I'm talking about. Thank you. Y'all have a seat. We're not going to embarrass you anymore. Come on. I am so grateful for a God who loves us so much that in the midst of our imperfection, he says, come on. I got you. Come on. That's good. That's so good. Let's sing something. Hey, b b before we do, you think they'll do what the other crowd did better? Okay, so y'all, some of y'all gonna hate this. All right, we did the offering, right? Yeah. yeah okay. I didn't see it flashing. So, uh, so at camp, Zach did this song, and so I, I asked the kids. I said, every time you sang a line, that's like, yeah, that's me. I asked them to get their Ric Flair on. How many of y'all have no idea who Ric Flair is? Listen, the Lord will deliver you from that. I'm telling you, man. Ric Flair, the nature boy, when he got all excited, do you know what he did? Yes! Woo! Right?
right? I mean, but you got to, I mean, it's not just like a whoo. You got to like, it's got to start right here and kind of well up, you know, like, kind of like that. So we're going to sing, right? And uh, we're going to stand. And if that's not, not your thing, you just look at all the weird people that do it. But if you can go there with me, I promise you, you'll have a better lunch. It, it's just fun. Let, let's do it. Let's go. Y'all ready? <laughs> 